In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I have a friend who commutes into the city from Westchester um, five or six days a week. And often he has trouble finding a seat on the train. It's not just that the train seats are full. Sometimes there are seats available. Uh, But my friend is very particular about the kind of seat he'll sit in. It has to be faced in the direction in which the train is going. Um, If you know how those trains work, sometimes the the seats are are lined up so that their back is in the direction the train is moving. And, And sometimes you can flip them and sometimes you can't. Um, And so my friend will walk from one end of the train all the way to the end and back, looking for a seat facing the correct direction. He's even stood in the doorway a time or two. And someone once asked him, you know, what what is that? What's what's wrong with, with you? Why won't you just sit in a seat when it's there? And he said, well, you know, who knows what would happen? The market could go bad, calamity after calamity. He said, you know, it comes down to this, never look back. Not on trains, not in life. Today's gospel has people who don't share that point of view. They're looking back. They're looking down right where they are. They're not ready to move ahead uh, for various reasons. Some of the reasons sound good to us when we hear them. Who knows why they're not ready to move when Jesus invites them to move. It might be that one prefers a, a simpler past, a past that he or she at least thinks they remember from the past. Others are weighed down by things to do, to do lists and obligations, whether real or imagined. But these things belong more to yesterday than today or tomorrow. We all could probably agree that sometimes living in the present takes the wind out of us and leaves us with very little faith. It used to be easier, we think. And so we can picture a time in the past when things were slower, things were easier, things were clearer. There were no surprises, there were no interruptions. It was easier then because it doesn't take faith to remember the past. But also there's very very little room for miracle in the past. I wonder how much of this was going on in this past week's vote in England to leave the European Union. Of course, along with concerns about jobs that have vanished and shifted away and entire trades that are no longer in demand and cultural challenges with diversity and immigration, it seems like at some level the European Union became the symbol of all that felt like it was moving too fast. And so the vote was really an effort to stop it all, just slow things down, freeze things for a minute, and let us take a deep breath. The problem, of course, is that we can stay put, but the rest of the world keeps moving. The rest of the world keeps moving, and if one people, if one family, if one country stops, they'll just be bypassed or pushed aside. God also keeps moving. God keeps moving, sometimes quickly, sometimes at an almost glacial speed. But God is moving forward. 
This is what Jesus is talking about in today's gospel. Luke uses a great phrase to describe Jesus, that his face was set toward Jerusalem. It's exactly this this direction, this intention, this energy of Christ pointing towards with a goal, with with a, a destination that just won't be stopped. When Jesus and his disciples visit the village of the Samaritans, the Samaritans can be bothered. They want no part of this direction where Jesus is going. They're not impressed, and they don't feel compelled to follow Jesus. Don't you love the disciples' reaction? The disciples are confused by this. You know, if this is really the Messiah, why isn't everyone following? Uh, clearly something's wrong with this picture. And so the disciples err on the side of action and they suggest calling down the wrath of God on those Samaritans. James and John ask, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> Notice that Jesus barely hears them. Jesus is moving forward. Jesus has already forgotten those unbelieving, unaccepting Samaritans. And Jesus has moved further into the kingdom of God. He has no time for holding grudges or or taking names or getting slowed down by people who simply don't get it. I have tremendous sympathy for the disciples when I think of some of the bullies and the bad guys in our world. I can completely side with James and John. Can't we just call down holy fire from heaven to consume them and be done with them? Can't we call down God on those who would twist even the words of God into words of hatred or violence? But to me, just like to those disciples, Christ says, no, no, move on, move forward. There's a lot to be done. We're going to Jerusalem and there's no time to look back. There's no time to stop along the way and bicker and get angry at people. There's no time to settle old scores. There's no time for vengeance or gloating. Move on in faith. In his letter to the Galatians, St. Paul pushes this point further. He writes, if victory, justice, and fairness bring some privileges, some freedom... They also bring things that should be carefully navigated. He writes, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. Don't use freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants, slaves either to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so live by the Spirit. The Spirit whose gifts are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus shows us how to live into that kind of freedom. How to live with that sort of freedom and share it. As the Gospel from Luke describes it, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem And trouble with the Samaritans is only the beginning of this journey. The love and energy and joy of Christ is infectious. And people along the way get entranced and they they want to hear more and they want to follow him. But some want to follow on their own terms, according to their own plans. Not just today, but maybe next Tuesday at 10 when it's convenient. One volunteers, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus seems to read the person's heart and says, it's not going to be easy. 
It's not a life of palaces and fine dining. It will more often be a way of homelessness and heartbreak. Are you up for that? Jesus invites another person to follow, and the the person seems willing, but offers what sounds like a reasonable excuse. First, let me go and bury my father. Here, Jesus sounds a little heartless when he responds, and I don't think Jesus intends for this to be a blanket uh, statement for all people who are grieving. But, But in this case, something about the man is stuck. And Jesus says to him, I think with great love and compassion, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We all know someone who sometimes has has become so used to grieving that they almost get stuck there like it's quicksand. And it takes a burst of the Holy Spirit or a burst of a good friend to say, come on, live, move on. That's what Jesus is doing, calling that person to faith forward. During Jesus' life and ministry, there was a strong sense in the ancient uh, Near East that the end of the world was upon them in some way. And so there is an urgency to Jesus' preaching and living that everyone would have caught. That's what Jesus is trying to convey. Our time may be short. Don't miss out on the kingdom as it comes to you. Don't compare it with a checklist that you're trying to complete. Don't wait until you've done this or that or gotten beyond this hurdle or that one. The kingdom of God is calling. And so respond. Move along. Let's go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that place and way of justice and peace and mercy and forgiveness and love. That place where we do our best to live out those values that St. Paul talks about. Finally, a third person wants to follow Jesus, but first needs to go home and say goodbye. Again, Jesus sounds a little harsh by saying, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, like my friend on Metro North, there's no looking back. There's no time for looking back. God moves forward. We see a little bit of this in our first reading from the Old Testament about two characters. It's important to hear the distinction. One is Elisha and one is Elijah. Elisha is the younger one. Elijah is the elderly one who is about to die. And so Elijah, the older one, the wise one, knows that God is about to take him home. He's almost in Jerusalem with God forever. But Elisha, the younger, knows something's about to shift and he's not ready for it. And so he sticks close to the older prophet. He won't let him leave his sight. Elijah keeps trying to get away from Elisha and Elisha won't let him do it. And finally, God takes Elijah from him anyway. And so Elisha stands there and is in deep mourning. He rips his clothes. But then he notices that Elijah has left behind his mantle, his cape, which just symbolizes all that Elijah has left behind. Elijah has left behind his spirit, his love, his wisdom, his intelligence, his insight. All that Elijah was, Elisha now can be. There's no time for looking back. No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is not to say that we ignore history or ignore the past. 
But it is to say that we don't let the past hold us captive either. We've all come from places that were real. We remember them. We feel feelings from the past. We have grown up with certain opinions and ways of thinking. We've grown up with stereotypes. We've grown up with prejudices. With regard to all sorts of things, color, class, size, age, we may have a long way to go before we arrive at the Jerusalem of God's dream, but with faith we make our way forward one day at a time. As many of you know, the month of June has become a special time in which lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people march and speak and love and live with pride. Some people wonder, especially in these days in this country with relative advances made, why make such a big deal with a weekend like this with rainbow flags and a parade? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Interview a teenager who is homeless, and the percentages are they were made to leave home because of their sexual choices. Look closely at the difficulties people continue to encounter in the workplace. Aside from being a human rights issue, it is an issue for all Christians to, to learn to accept all of God's children as they are. That's a basic characteristic of following Jesus. But I think also that a pride celebration, especially for Christians, can help us focus on what it means to follow Christ forward, fully, in body, mind, and spirit. What does it mean to follow Christ forward and resist the prejudices of the past, the the misplaced shame of the past, perhaps the misunderstanding or rejection of, of ourselves or others in the past? What does it mean to follow Christ forward? Once there has been forgiveness, to embrace the full calling of Jesus Christ and not look back. Whenever we celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism, we reaffirm our baptismal vows. And after saying a version of the Apostles' Creed together, there are those wonderful additional questions. Some of you perhaps have memorized them. Will you continue in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people, and respect the dignity of every human being? The answer to each of those questions, of course, which we say together, is I will with God's help. And implied in that is I will with all of your help as God helps us through one another. But especially notice the language of the baptismal covenant. Will you continue? Will you persevere? Will you proclaim? Will you seek and serve? Will you strive? None of that has to do with the past. None of that has to do with how faithful we might have been 20 years ago or 10 years ago or yesterday. It has to do with today. It has to do with this afternoon, with this evening. It has to do with this year, with this future. Will we be faithful? Can we be faithful? 
following God, following Christ closely, of course, will look as different as we look. It will depend on our gifts and our own sense of what it means to respond to Christ. Many of you have probably noticed through the news and the newspapers that um, yesterday Bill Cunningham died. Uh, Bill Cunningham was, um, of course, the 87-year-old fashion photographer. He was not in any outward way overtly religious, but I think he managed to talk about and live out something of the kingdom of God in a way that was particular to him. He proclaimed God's reign in a wonderful and delightful way until very recently, till he had a stroke last week. He could be seen all over Manhattan on his bicycle with his camera. He would take pictures of the rich and famous and what they were wearing, but he would also take pictures of the young and newly come to New York and what they were wearing. If I had walked through Midtown, I would see a mob of people. Bill Cunningham would notice on a particular day, everyone's wearing yellow stripes, and so he would take a picture of this man's socks and that woman's blouse and that person's bandana and that person's book bag. The last few years, as the New York Times uh, developed its website, uh, one could go on each week and, and watch a slideshow of the photographs that Bill Cunningham had taken. And as interesting as the photographs were, what was delightful was to hear his voice. It was a voiceover. And it was, yes, an 87-year-old man, but he sounded like a little boy. He was giddy with excitement at life at how bizarre and how wonderful and how surprising and how funny people could be. If that's not the Spirit of God, I don't know what it is. We, each of us, manifest that in our own way. But imagine what the church would be like. Imagine what Christianity would be like if we had some sense of Bill Cunningham's uh, pizzazz and faithfulness. If we were able to look around us and in the world and say, "Um, look at that woman, look how faithful she is, isn't that marvelous? Look at that man, look how generous he is, isn't that fantastic? Um, Look at that child, look at how how wholesome and how, how caring he is, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that create a kind of living rainbow of faith that would forever invite others into God's unfolding kingdom? The great Jesuit theologian Teilhard de Chardin wrote, Remain true to yourself. Remain true to yourself, but move ever upward toward greater consciousness and greater love. At the summit, you will find yourselves united with all those who from every direction have made the same ascent. For everything that rises must converge. Whether we feel Christ's hand pushing us slightly from the back or gently leading us from the front, may the Spirit always give us what we need to follow Christ forward in faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.